0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning, Grace family. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Jeff uh, Kelly prayed for our team that's leading the service this morning before um, We began about 30 minutes before the service time. We usually gather and pray. And he just prayed, thank you, God, that we're not out doing whatever we want to, but you have directed our lives. What a beautiful prayer. I've been thinking about this very thing last few days. um, I was saved when I was 18 years old. And perhaps that was such a good thing because I was all in and it just didn't ever occur to me. That you should not give 10% of your gross income and everything that you get to the Lord. And, but occasionally you think about, well, what could I do with that money, you know? I, I, I don't even go there because why would you even think about it? Why would you think about watching anything, doing anything, saying anything that you can say? If you belong to Jesus, it is Christ in you. No longer I, but Christ who lives in us. Um, I do want to say that a huge part of our walk with the Lord is baptism. We'll be having a baptism on March 28th. So if you have never been baptized, if you have trusted Christ and you have not been baptized, then we need to talk about it. I, I promise you, this will not be on any kind of conversation that we have, but I am going to ask you a question. I'm going, to ask you, I'm going to give you the name of several locations, and with each location in your mind, raise your hand if you know what happened in that place. Now, I don't want you to literally raise your hand, but, but mentally put your hand up in Amy Poehler fashion if you know what I'm talking about, okay? If you can associate the event with the place. Dunkirk, Woodstock, Gettysburg, Sundance Resort, Little Bighorn, Versailles, Gethsemane. Next question Which of these places would you guess will be the focus of today's sermon? <laughs> if I gave an exam on this question, I feel certain it would boost your semester grade. Gethsemane. Now, let's keep going. If, if I asked you for associations with Gethsemane, what would you say? I would guess if we gave an answer for the entire class that it would be either agony or anguish. Although, submission, betrayal, Resolve, arrest, loneliness would all get votes. All of these emotions, all of these activities are associated with Gethsemane. If you know the layout of John's gospel, you may wonder, since we're in a series on the gospel of John, why we're talking about Gethsemane. Because Jesus' agony in Gethsemane is not included in John's gospel, although it is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Perhaps the Apostle John, who wrote his Gospel much later than the other three, knew that Gethsemane was already uh, very much a part of the framework of the believer's understanding of Jesus and who He was. But no one had recorded the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 where he prayed for the disciples, he prayed for God's glory for the disciples, and for us. Either way, all four gospel writers were directed by the Holy Spirit. So as we begin to have a, take a slow approach to Palm Sunday and Holy Week and Easter, I, I thought it important for us to spend time with Jesus in Gethsemane, but we must do so from a distance, because the garden was necessarily a lonely place for the Savior as He prepared to die for our sins. And it was lonely by design. Our text this morning is Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. We will return to John next week to read about Jesus' arrest and His trial, both uh, before the... Jewish leaders, and Roman authorities. But this morning, we will stand at the edge of Gethsemane. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and it is our custom to stand, so I'll give you a head start on standing at Gethsemane. If you would, please stand. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death remain here and watch with me. He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he was moving toward Calvary. And as we observe Jesus in Gethsemane at a distance this morning, we are moving toward the Lord's table where Jesus' agony points to a divine love and sacrifice that brings us life. Before we begin to jump into the text, here's a brief chronology of events as best I can Put it together on that night. Uh, Here's the order in which these things were um, taken. Piecing together. First, the Passover meal. As far as the disciples knew, this was an ordinary Passover meal. Except that no Passover meal was ordinary. This one though was going to be very special. Now there's a debate about the timing of this meal. Did Jesus and his disciples celebrate this meal on Thursday night or actually on Wednesday night. We're going to address that briefly in a few weeks when we come to John eighteen twenty-eight. But really, we're not going to spend much time either here or in home group. I'm going to tell you now, I think it was on Thursday night. Second, the Lord's Supper. At some point, the Passover meal became the Lord's Supper. With Jesus explaining what the Passover had been pointing to all along. Three Jesus washes his disciples' feet at which time an observer in the day would say, Shut your mouth? What are you talking about? Jesus washing his disciples didn't happen. Did not happen. Two things within a 24 hour period that were utterly inconceivable, inconceivable for the Savior, the Messiah of the world. He washed his followers' feet. And he died on a Roman cross. It's interesting that Judas was still with the disciples when Jesus washed their feet. Afterwards, Jesus predicted Judas' betrayal. And then, number five, Judas leaves. And the farewell discourse. As we saw in John 13, after Judas left, the disciples still did not suspect him of being the betrayer. They were... (laughs) Is it me? Is it I? Is it I? Who? Who's going to do this awful thing? But it was almost as if Jesus breathed a sigh of relief. And it was then that the marvelous teaching we know as the farewell discourse was shared. Number seven, Jesus prays for God's glory for the disciples and for us in John 17. And I trust that you as I continue to be blessed by Jesus' prayer for us. Can't tell you how much I enjoyed being in John 17 for three weeks. Number eight, the agony in Gethsemane. After he prayed for the disciples in John 17, he crosses the brook Kidron and begins to pray in agony to his father. Then there is the arrest in the garden. Um, And we could have used any one of the four gospels for this, but Mark 14 is what I've put there. So with this context in mind, we're going to focus on three areas from the text. First, the disciples' failure, sleeping and resting when they should have been watching and praying. So once again, thinking about where we are at this point in the evening, we join them in Matthew 26 at the end of this extremely eventful night. After the supper, Jesus dropped some of the most profound teaching in the history of the world on them. Then he prayed for them in their presence, as if he were speaking directly to the creator of the universe. He was and he was the creator of the universe. As Jesus and his disciples moved toward the edge of Gethsemane, Jesus asked three disciples to accompany him deeper into the garden. Peter, James, and John were often with him. They had been with him at the transfiguration, kind of like the inner circle, which didn't mean mean that Jesus loved them more than he loved the others, but it's just the way that it worked. And Jesus' sorrow must have been palpable to the three disciples who went with him. And He gave the disciples one responsibility, Peter, James, and John, one responsibility with two parts, watch and pray. If you're going to watch or if you're going to pray, you need to stay awake, right? Surely Jesus was comforted by their presence. Surely he picked these three because you remember just earlier, Peter had said, Lord, I will go with you to the death. So Jesus must have felt really good with Peter on guard. Right? And they had all affirmed it. They had all said, we'll go. Yes, we're all going to the death. So Jesus surely was comforted. Right. The disciples had one job. And they failed miserably. What was at stake? Only the salvation of the world. You would almost think it is a picture when we have one responsibility for salvation. We only have one responsibility to stand in God's presence and that is to be perfect. We are incapable and that is part of this picture. Jesus was alone. Which makes our second point of focus even more remarkable. The Savior's faithfulness. Both the divine and human natures of Jesus on display, and both perfect. In home group this week, you're going to read uh, the accounts of the agony in Gethsemane, in Mark and Luke, as well as in Matthew, and you will read that Jesus was in such agony that his sweat was like drops of blood. An angel ministered to him, but while his disciples dozed, and no doubt, dreamed of glory when Jesus would come into his kingdom. Jesus wrestled with the task that was before him. But then he was God, right? Yes. How to explain such a moment? When Jesus asked, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Was he really looking for a way to avoid Calvary? As was mentioned in these last few weeks, Jesus knew God's design for him, and he spoke as if it had already been accomplished, that he had already been crucified and resurrected. All of this had come to pass. He was talking to the disciples and prom- making promises to them based on the work That he was going to do. Jesus was committed. Fully, completely committed to following God's will. We may get in the direction of understanding. By learning as much as we can. About the two natures of Jesus. Really complex. um, Doctrine. But still it helps if we think of. the, the, The Trinity is three persons with one nature, but Jesus is one person with two natures. Get it? Trinity, one nature, three persons. Jesus, one person, two natures, divine and human. So it's best for us to understand Jesus' request to avoid the cup, not so much as a request for the Father to change his plans, but more as Jesus' human nature desiring to avoid the separation from His Father that death on a cross would require be done in His case. Jesus had had perfect fellowship with His Father from before eternity past, for all eternity, that way and that way. He, he had it all along. You don't know what perfect relationship is. Oh, you may know what it's like. Perfect fellowship is like in the first week or two when, you know, you're walking around Gaga toward him or her. But after that, you know, we, we don't know what perfect relation. He'd had it for all eternity. And he was about to walk to the cross, carrying his own cross. Die for our sins and the Father would turn his face away. But asking if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You've been in a similar place, haven't you? You know that your life is going down a path that is difficult. Maybe it's health, maybe it's economic, maybe it's relational. And and you express your desire for God to change the trajectory of your life or the life of someone that you love. But in the end, you submit to God's will. And Jesus' struggle was like that, except that it was nothing like that. There is nothing in our frame of reference to know the loneliness and agony that Jesus experienced in Gethsemane. He was not only faithful for himself. Jesus was faithful for those three disciples and the ones he had left even farther behind who were snoring and dreaming of glory. He was faithful for us, no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. What we can say, what can we say about this? Perhaps we should let Jeffrey Grib- Gibbs speak for us. He would not like me calling him Jeffrey Gibbs, I'm sure. Jeffrey Gibbs said this, quote. In the categories of the doctrine of the two natures in the one person of Christ, in the evidence here may be a distinction, yet not a conflict between Christ's human will and his divine will. Any person naturally would feel, might feel trepidation at the prospect of suffering and death and might desire to avoid it. Yet, according to his divine nature, Christ's will is the same as that of his Father. And with divine foreknowledge, he knows that he will con- complete the Father's will. His human will aligns with his divine will to carry out the Father's plan. Now I'm not going to pause, I'm going to pause here for a moment, not to say that we we should take a moment and reflect on this instruction from Professor Gibbs, but it, because an hour's worth of reflection wouldn't get us anywhere close. I'm going to make this quote available on Faith Life, but now we should read the end of the quote and see where we should. Be. We should rest. None of our necessary attempts to safeguard important Christological teaching, however, can remove the mystery here. Before the mystery, we cannot stand and explain. We should bow in awe and worship. Our last point. The cup of God's wrath. Only Jesus could drink this unique cup in the place of sinners. And he resolved to do so in perfect obedience to the Father. It is not our faithfulness that captures God's attention and brings us into his family. Indeed, we are faithless like The disciples. It is Jesus' faithfulness to fulfill the Father's plan to die for us that gives us relationship for God when we cry out for forgiveness of sins. And we place all of our trust, all of our full weight on Jesus' sacrifice for our salvation. A whole lot to say about the cup that Jesus would drink But the short version is, while the Old Testament spoke of the cup of the Lord's blessing, most of the time when you see the cup referred to in the Old Testament, it's God's divine wrath that is going to be poured out on his enemies and even on his people when they walk away from him. It was the same cup of God's wrath that the human nature in Jesus desired to avoid, but his will being the same as that of the Father. New that he would drink this cup to the dregs. What makes the cup of wrath, this cup of wrath unique, is that it involved the full and complete punishment of sin for those who would receive Jesus' sacrifice as payment for their sins. It's the cup that Jesus had raised at the Passover meal, along with the broken bread. That will become known as the Lord's Supper. And so, as we now approach the table, as we are commanded and privileged to do, I want to ask you before we partake of the elements, um, well, I'm going to add one more layer of understanding before we partake, but I want to ask you to go ahead and get your. This is the last week of uh, Scott Chambly has assured me that it's the last week these hard to open packets. Looks like we're pretty close to the end of these. But you may as well go ahead and start getting the tops little layer off to get to the bread. But as you are preparing for this, do not, please do not miss what I'm about to say. God relates to his people through covenants or agreements that facilitate relationships or a relationship between two parties. You may remember from Genesis 15 that God made a covenant with Abraham in a way that seems strange to us, though Abraham would have understood perfectly. God came to old man Abraham and told him that he would have more offspring than he could count in the sky, stars in the sky. Abraham believed God, and God credited Abraham. Abraham with righteousness because of his belief. Then there was a bizarre, or to us anyway, ceremony that sealed the agreement. And God's actions were based on the treaties of the ancient Near East, known as Suzerain Treaties. Now, if you've been here for a while, you may have heard this once, two, three times, maybe even. Um, But if you've Come in the last year or two, you you may have never heard this, and it's important to understand the context for that agreement between God and Abraham that we know as the Abrahamic covenant. In such agreements, two kings would make a covenant, and then they would seal their agreement or their treaty in a ceremony or at a ceremony that included a meal. We signed treaties, they ate a meal but not just any meal. These agreements were usually carried out between two kings not of equal strength. Uh, These kings were like our mayors, you know. It's not king of a a whole nation. It's like a king of a small town, this king and that king. The king of Angers, say, would go to the kings of Lillington and Bowie's Creek at different times and say to them, let's make a covenant. Here's a good deal. You send me $1 million a year. And if the king of Fuquay attacks me, you come and help me. If the king of Dunn attacks you, I'll come and help you. Now, if you refuse to agree to these generous terms that I am offering you, I may be forced to take action. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. It would be that kind of understanding. The agreement was then sealed with a ceremony where animals would be cut in half and placed in two rows with a path down the middle. The weaker of the two kings would then walk through the pieces of the animals and say, if I refuse to keep the terms of this covenant, then may be done to me what has been done to these animals. That's a pretty graphic picture, right? You understand what... Was saying, afterwards they would have a banquet and the eating of the meal sealed the treaty. Now, back in Genesis 15, you may recall that the Lord commanded Abraham to cut animals and birds in half, separating them into those two rows in preparation for the ceremony. Then the Lord caused the deep sleep to come on to Abraham and he either saw or dreamed, or it's the same thing in, in this case. That a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch passed through the pieces. This was a theophany or a representation of the Lord on the earth. That's God walking through the pieces. Now, which is the greater of the two parties? Abraham or God, God, of course. So why is God walking through the pieces? Instead of Abraham. This was the message. Abraham. I know that you're incapable of keeping your end. Of any covenant that I would make with you. So when you fail. I'm going to take the punishment. In your place. I both set the demands. And pay the price. For you. And this. Brothers and sisters. Was a unique sorrow. It was heavy on Jesus' heart and the loneliness that overwhelmed his soul in Gethsemane. At the Lord's Supper, when Jesus took the bread and the cup, he was about to walk through the pieces. Please take your packets as we observe Jesus' sorrow and loneliness while at the same time we celebrate God's love for us, the glory of which shines brightest. Jesus' death on the cross in many ways. When Jesus said, Oh, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. The Father's silence indicated his love for us the highest level. Father, as we come to you at the table, albeit differently than we typically do, we come recognizing our sin. We confess, Lord, our sins against you. We do not take this meal lightly because we know That to do so is to make a mockery of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And so Lord corporately we confess our sins. Cleanse us through the blood of Jesus. Now as we partake of the bread. And the fruit of the vine. May our hearts be joined to you and to one another. As this meal intended for us to be joined. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for your plan. Thank you, Spirit, for helping us understand what so few do. Meet us in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, broke it. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Would you stand and sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings... Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.